Welcome to Behavioral Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. This is the only podcast where you get a dose of why we do what we do combined with a spoonful of music. A spoonful. (laughs) Well, it's not a lot. So speaking of this combination, Kurt, I have a question for you. Okay, shoot. So I'm wondering what you think makes Behavioral Grooves different from other podcasts about behavioral science. Okay, so you, you... you offer me up a softball it question. It is a softball question. All right, I yeah. like it. All right. So so first, we combine great interviews with, with academics and practitioners along with that spoonful of music that you mentioned. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right. We're the only ones that combine music and that, right? Yes. So there you go. All right. Second, we include accidental behavioral scientists into the mix. Those are the people who are applying behavioral science into their work, into the lo- in their lives, without even knowing that they're doing it. Which is very cool. Yeah. And third, we groove on each conversation. So we we take the academic jargon and translate it into real-life applications. We take the real-life applications and highlight the research that goes behind it and, and looking at it. And so we have that grooving session at the end of each of our episodes. Yeah. You know, the most compelling part for me is, is the music. No, it's the groovy session, what? actually. No. Yeah. I know you'd think it would be the music, which I love. Oh my gosh, I totally love it. But our grooving sessions are really the most compelling and unique aspect of our podcast. And I honestly I have you to thank for that. You were the one that when we started this said we need to do a grooving session at the end. So thank you. <laughs> well, well- Thanks for agreeing, I guess. <laughs> it, actually, it is my favorite part, too. And I, I, I think, you know, from, from me, it's the part where we get to really hone in on some of the learnings and hopefully express those in ways that the listeners can, can understand. Yeah. But it's also ways for us to really hone in and learn from those. So, so it's my favorite part of it as well. I don't know. Do, do you think that sometimes people may just fast forward through the episode to get to the, the, the grooving session? <laughs> well, let's hope not. Let's, let's, let's not answer that question. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. So back to the show. <laughs> okay. All right. So I, I'm thinking, I, I'm, I'm thinking that you might have brought up this podcast question because of our guest today. Maybe. (laughs) In this episode, we did speak with a couple of fellow podcasters in the behavioral science world. We talked to Zarak Khan and Eric Johnson, and they run the Action Design Network podcast, which grew out of the Action Design Network meetup that was originally founded in Washington, D.C. Okay. So our listeners may think that it's strange that we're having a show with other podcasters who also run a podcast about behavioral science, uh, you know, but this isn't a competition. Hell no. You know, it, it really is about growing this community of people who are interested in behavioral science. It's what we've talked about from the very beginning. We want to grow this community. And these guys do a great, great job with that. So... Action Design Network has meetups in a number of cities throughout the world, and we'll link to those in the in the in the episode notes if you're interested in joining. Uh, and we do recommend that if you're in one of their cities, go go yeah. go to one of the Action Design Network meetups. They're fantastic. Um, and you know, we also talked about Zer- with Zarak and Eric about more than just the meetups. We discussed some of their observations that they've made uh, as being about as being hosts to a podcast on behavioral science. And we also talked about what they've learned from all of their guests that they've had on their show. And 
they have had some great guests. Truly, they've had some real rock stars. Uh, and they've also had some cool insights to share. So at times, the conversation that you're going to listen to it might meander a bit. It right? might. You know, I mean. It's podcasters get, talking to podcasters. It is. You know, some insider conversations, some specific podcast details. And we apologize if it, if it feels like it's getting long, long-winded, but that's just kind of what happens. Yeah. And just a note for our listeners who are keeping track. This is our 96th episode, which means that we're fast approaching our 100th episode. Some of you may know that we've already recorded it in Philadelphia at a live event, but we're mentioning it for two reasons. First, we think you're going to love the discussion that we had with Annie Duke, Jeff Chrysler, and Michael Hallsworth at that 100th episode. And second is that we want to express our gratitude to our sponsors of that 100th episode, Podbean and People Science. You know, Podbean has been hosting our episodes from the very start. And if you're thinking about starting a podcast, we recommend that you launch it on Podbean. I mean, they've been nearly flawless in their experience from the very, very first episode. And People Science is a great site to check out if you're interested in the behavioral sciences. The team at People Science curate a great content even featuring you, our own beloved Tim Houlihan. Amazing. And and we'll provide a link and they also provide links to job postings and related events in the world of behavioral science. Check out the links in the show notes below to find out more information. With that, we hope that you sit back with a fine listening beverage. Uh, <laughs> we don't even need to pull from the Oh my god, I <laughs> that almost was just terrible. <laughs> Apparently no sound effects needed for that since it was very real. Um, but we hope you enjoy our conversation with Zarak Khan and Eric Johnson. Zarak Khan and Eric Johnson, welcome to the Behavioral Grooves podcast. Thank you so much for having us. We're happy to be here. It is so well, I'm happy to be here. I'll let Eric speak for himself. <laughs> I am also happy, just to confirm. <laughs> Good. Well, we're going to start with the speaker. And since we have two guests today, let's go in. Uh, let's start in alphabetical order. So, Eric, you'll answer first, and then Zarak. Lucky me. Yeah, lucky yeah right. Okay. So, um, coffee or tea? Coffee, all the way. All right, Zarak. I'm a major coffee drinker uh, and coffee snob. So, yes, I love coffee. Yeah. Ah, we're going to have to. We'll get there. Zarak. All right, bike or unicycle? Oof, unicycle. Unicycle. You're like one of three people that have re- responded that way. With I us. love it. I would have been surprised if Sirac answered any differently there. <laughs> See, he's a unicycle kind of guy. <laughs> okay, Eric, St. Louis or New York? Oh, uh, I got to go with New York because I actually lived there and I've only been to St. Louis on a brief visit where I got a wonderful dinner and drinks with Zarak uh, himself. But uh, just, yeah, the too much. The, the, it's, it's a lot, I put a lot of time into New York, so I got to pick that for now. Sun Although I love the Midwest. Right I'm, a, I'm, very, I'm a very strong Midwestern proponent. All right. Then, so, is, all right, Zarak, I'm asking you the same question. Go. St. Louis. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. I love it. I love the very first, the very first guest we've had that actually answered St. Louis. Of course, it's actually the first question we've ever asked that had St. Louis in it. <laughs> it's my hometown. I'm just glad to hear that. Okay. One for one. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, welcome. We are super excited. We have been fans of you guys for a long time. And we yeah, have same. wanted to, to talk with you. And, and one of the things that we have been fans of, and actually Tim and I, actually talked to you, Zarak, when we were first starting Behavioral Grooves. We, we called you, somebody recommended that we talk with you. 
because uh, you had, you have this this component that you've been working with called Action Design Network. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with Action Design Network, and I know Eric, you're part of that as well. Let's help us understand, help the listeners understand what Action Design Network is and what you guys are trying to do with that. Yeah, sure. So I'll I'll kick it off, and Eric, feel free to fill in any gaps because Eric, I think, has probably actually been involved even longer than I have. Um, so Action Design Network is a nonprofit, um, that was founded in DC in 2012 by Steve Wendell, who, um, heads up behavioral science for Morningstar. And at the time he was living in DC and, um, you know, there was a a group of folks there who wanted to connect and just talk and share stories and insights, um, about behavioral science and applying it to, um, product design and to public policy. And so it's, it's grown kind of a lot since then. I started volunteering there in 2014. Um, and since then, we've expanded from, you know, uh, a couple hundred members in DC to now it's something like 15 or 16,000 members um, around about like 15 or 16 different cities. So we've been organized so far around like chapters in specific cities. Um, and we're in a couple different countries now. Um, and basically it's, it's kind of like a little mini sort of informal Ted talk get together. So we'll bring researchers, practitioners, folks from product design or public policy or wherever to kind of talk about applying behavioral science to help people make better decisions. So that has been kind of like the core focus of the group for for a long time is almost as a convening body. Um, and I would say that, you know, we're trying to kind of evolve along with the needs of our members. So, um, you know, when, when I first started, I, I remember my thought was like, this is really cool. I learned about this in school. I know I kind of want to do this somehow in my, in my work, but, um, I just want to stay connected, you know, and like learn about what the kind of cutting edge stuff is that's going on. And this was a great venue for that. Um, and over the years, we've seen more and more people um, kind of move beyond that um, to say, I actually want to do this as my job. Like, I want this to be like my full-time job, um, or I want to incorporate some significant component of it into what I, what I already do. Um, and, and even a group that's a little bit smaller, but certainly growing, that's like, this already is my job. How can I be even better at it? And so I think action design has kind of tried to evolve to meet you know, as I said, meet the needs of those different groups of people. Um, and so, you know, in, in recent years, we've uh, obviously we've launched our own podcast um, that Eric and I co-host um, as a way of kind of reaching folks that don't like live in an action design city. Um, we've added like a jobs board um, in, in conjunction with peoplescience.com. Uh, and so that's to kind of help facilitate people, uh, you know, moving into a career in behavioral science um, and a number of other initiatives kind of like that to sort of help meet the needs. So moving a little bit beyond just being a convening body um, and sort of sharing information to one that's kind of having a little bit more of a, a force in shaping the field of behavioral science and um, kind of always with this sort of un, uh, overarching mission of making it more accessible to people. All right. Thanks, Eric. Anything to add to that? I think that covered it really well to say, um, you know, I think a lot of what the groups aimed for is a little bit of how I got involved and how I got into behavior science in general. It's sort of representative of what the group sort of there for like way back. I'm actually trying to think that we're talking about what year it was. I want to say it's probably like 2011, maybe. Um, 
early 2000s uh, is kind of when I first discovered behavioral science and started getting really interested in it. And uh, I lived in Washington, D.C. at the time and was able to connect with Steve Wendell, who was the founder of Action Design. And I started helping him kind of organize the meetups. And that was kind of my first introduction to outside of books, actually seeing, oh, there's people that actually do this stuff and there's other people that are interested in this. And it really just kind of started as this kind of community and a way for to connect with other people interested in it and to learn more about what people who are in the field are actually out there doing. Um, so I think just over time, that simple mission or that simple goal is to sort of expanded into being in a lot of different cities and doing conferences, doing the podcast, um, and sort of connect people to the jobs board and things like that. Um, so it's always just kind of been about connecting people to behavioral science and, uh, you know, building more of a community around it. And, um, you know, especially finding people who are actually out there doing it and, uh, you know, how they're going about doing so. Well, we're going to want to, want to we want to make sure that we've got uh, all links to all the the cities and how people can actually go and get involved in the meetups because they because uh, it, it's terrific right to have this community out there that is addressing the needs of people who are both interested and actually doing their jobs uh, around behavioral science to to expand this community. So we'll we'll make sure that we get those in the show notes. But what what led you from DC to the next city? What what was it that that somebody raised their hand and said, "Oh, you know, DC isn't enough. We got to have something else." Oh, for action design? Um, it's actually a good question. Rock, what was the first chapter outside of D.C.? You, was it New you, York? You are was the most me? qualified person to <laughs> okay. answer this question. <laughs> you, I, you I, I actually it. couldn't remember if I was the first one. Okay, so I lived in D.C., <laughs> So I, I guess yeah, I generally couldn't remember if I was the first one or not. Um, but yeah, I lived in D.C. at the time with that very first chapter and helped organize that. And then um, at the period of time, and actually really through people I met through action design, I ended up getting a role at Ideas42, which is obviously a big behavioral economic shop. Uh, I know you've interviewed some people from there. Yep. The show. Um, I ended up moving up there and working in their New York office. And I kind of decided I was going to bring action design with me. So I started a chapter up there. Um, and started kind of doing similar things. And obviously it was great because like New York has a thriving behavioral science community. It always has um, and still has quite a bit going on. So um, it just sort of uh, happened by luck in a little bit of ways. I was like, why don't we start doing this up here? And then I don't really know how to expand it after that off the top of my head. But, um, so, uh, you know, once we got into one other city, we started having more people reach out and go from there. So I'll let Zorak fill in some of those gaps. Yeah, I can pick up the story from there. So yeah. what happened after that was we had our first national conference. So this was kind of my like first contribution to the group after joining um, as an officer. Um, Steve had asked me like, hey, can you explore doing like a, um, a bigger conference for us um, to kind of add to the, you know, portfolio of things that we're doing or the ways that we're engaging with people and things that we're providing. And um, so we, we did and it was successful. And um, there were a ton of folks that came up afterwards and were like, this is great. Like, you know, how can we, you know, be engaged with this? And we're like, oh, we've got a group here in DC. We've got one in New York. And you're like, okay, well, I don't live in either of those places. Um, and um, at that point, Steve decided. So I think I think he was moving to Chicago for Morningstar right around then. Anyways, um, maybe it was like a year later. But uh, he sort of said, well, why don't we like change the structure of our group a little bit and. Oh no! I, sorry, I became the I led the DC chapter. This was I'm like getting ahead of myself here a little bit, wow. and it's also something that like no one's interested in. Probably like the internal mechanics. We, we are truly that. walking th down memory lane and trying to remember <laughs> things that I haven't thought of in a while. Yeah. Um, Timeline gets fuzzy. Uh, I uh, Steve asked me to lead the DC chapter, and then he stayed on as president, and he kind of took on this role of launching new cities. So. 
Um, I think that year we launched Chicago and San Francisco um, oh. as like our next Hot two. Hotbeds for behavioral science, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Think, uh, what Sam Evans did started Chicago, right? Sam Evans started Chicago, and like so, so yeah. I mean, based on like the success of those cities, like a lot of those folks ended up becoming um, officers in action design as well. So I led the DC group for a year while Steve was president, and then I think when he moved to Chicago, he was like, "I'm just too busy," um, and I'm like holding things up, and so um, asked me to come on as president. But you guys never came to Minneapolis. I, I'm just, I'm disappointed. We would have, we would have joined you guys. Right? I know, I know. Most of the, I, you still can, there's still time. <laughs> I, right. I, I mean, honestly, like a, a lot of the new cities weren't really, we weren't like, we need to be in Chicago. Let's find something in Chicago. It was always someone out there who we met through the conference or through the field or whatever that kind of volunteered to create a group. Yeah. So it, it's always been pretty organic growth and that there's, and that also has like drawbacks too. And that sometimes like someone starts a chapter in a city and then they get too busy with their job or they move or whatever. And then like, it takes a little while to find somebody to like pick up the reins because it's a volunteer thing. Yeah. Um, but it's always kind of grown organically and that someone's been really excited about it and wanted to take the initiative to start a city. Um, so, uh, so, so there's no, um, yeah, no, no, no intentionality behind not uh, <laughs> strategically targeting Minneapolis. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're just staying away from Tim and me here. I got it. <laughs> part of our group either, you know? That's behavioral groups territory up there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let's say that uh, somebody is, uh, is listening to the podcast to this, this session and they, they're like, wow, I, I want to, I'm curious about, about what an action design network meetup is like. Can you uh, just give us a, a, a quick overview of what a, what an action design um, meetup is like. Yeah, yeah so I'll, I, I'll give a little run through, um, and then I'll let Rock fill in any details. Um, so the kind of format that we've generally stuck to is kind of evolved a little bit over time, and some people have been creative and trying new things. Is usually it's typically we do like roughly one meetup a month. Um, with a speaker. So we try to find a speaker that's in the local area or that might be happening to travel through that city and wants to give a talk. Um, and it's gotta be somebody who's in kind of applied behavioral science, who's either working within a company and like doing behavioral interventions um, or they're an academic doing interesting studies, something like that. Um, we have a speaker um, and that's kind of the core of the program, but we always start with about an hour or so of kind of what we call just kind of networking and socializing. Uh, we have food, we have some drinks, people can kind of come and mingle. Um, then we usually do a presentation where kind of whoever the kind of subject matter expert of the month is gives their talk. And then we go through that whole for 45 minutes to an hour, whatever that is. And then there's kind of um, some more kind of socializing and networking after that. That's really been the typical um, format that we've done. Um, we've done some other things like, uh, you know, occasionally we'll just do like social events, just kind of like happy hours or something like that, where people from the group can come together. Um, I know that like uh, Robin Kriegelstein and the Austin group has been kind of creative and trying different um, sort of formats where he'll do more like workshops that he gives and sometimes he'll bring in speakers, sometimes he'll just give stuff. Um, so we've experimented with a little bit, but that's kind of been the typical uh, format, just like some networking, like a, you know, experienced speaker sharing some work that they've done with some Q&A and just uh, kind of a lot of socializing and the ability to meet other kind of behavioral practitioners or people who are just interested in it um, yeah. within your city. Building that community and, and transferring of some hopefully knowledge around the, the area of, of expertise that you bring in. Well, right? we're, and we're not alone, right? I mean, I think this is one of the really coolest, the coolest parts of what you guys were up to in, in 2011 or when Steve, you know, was, was 
saying this is, is we're not alone. Like there is this group of people out there who are, who are, you know, B-side curious, <laughs> but they're, you know, they're just interested. And then, and as, as Zorak said, I think it's cool that there's this evolution that's gone into, wow, now people are actually doing this in their jobs. This is, this is kind of a more day-to-day thing. Um, I think that that's, that's really cool that, that uh, the organization has continued to evolve as the, as the industry has evolved. All right. So I, we, we do have to ask though. So you, you had this whole net action design network going on all these different cities. And then you just come out and you, you like what inspired a podcast? <laughs> Cause I know I mean, Tim and I origin tale. own story behind yeah. our start, but what, what, you know, and around behavioral science, what, what inspired it? What was the, what was the impetus? Well, I'll be curious to hear how similar our reasons for starting podcasts are. <laughs> I'm sure they're identical. So I'll kind of tell it from my side, and then I know Eric had been had been thinking about a podcast for a while before we kind of joined forces uh, on it. So I'll, I'll let Eric kind of give his story uh, as well. But so you know, I mentioned that we had this conference in DC. We had two more after that. So we had another one in DC and then one in Chicago. And, um, they were all like, they were really fun and they were, I would say like successful events. Like they were financially successful. They, um, you know, accomplished our goal of like bringing together people from all around the country, all around the world, um, for, you know, these really interesting talks in behavioral science. And at the time, like, I don't think that there were, I mean, now there's like more conferences that are kind of like this, like that are just focused on behavioral science, but the common refrain that we always heard from our um, speakers and presenters at the conference were, um, this is awesome. Like normally I'm like the behavioral person at a blank conference and here, uh, like it's all behavioral people. And it's not just like, whoa, did you know the brains are crazy and here's a fun (laughs) trick or whatever. It's like, you can really get into the weeds on some of the the practical work. And so they were very successful, but they were, from my perspective, incredibly stressful. Um, and so, Seconded, you know, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a ton. What was that? Uh, it was stressful to create these and, and, and yes. And they were very successful, but yeah, like putting them together, yeah. uh, putting together a big event like that is just a lot of work, especially when it's all volunteer time. Oh yeah. yeah. So all, all action design folks are all volunteers. I mean, from like the board and presidents, you know, officers or whatever on down, it's all volunteer time, city organizers. And it takes a ton of time. And so a lot of times the people that you're asking to help put on a conference are already doing a ton of other action design stuff, as well as just their job or whatever their normal thing is that they do, you know? So, um, yeah, not stressful from the sense of like the event itself is great. And like, really like the, the morning of, or even like the evening before, it's like the train has left the station and like, you can't really do anything else. Like you can only kind of like enjoy it or, you know, crash and burn. And luckily we never like, you know, crashed or like went off the rails with it. But so they were always very fun, but it took up a ton of volunteer time. And just, I remember thinking like, man, we're not really using this as like a big fundraiser thing. We're not charging, you know, I mean, I think our ticket prices were like $400 or something like that, which like, you know, this was, you know, like compared to say like an IDS 42, right. Which is like, I think $4,000, you know, which I mean, there's a fundraiser for them as well. So I'm not trying to, I mean, one of, one of the years we had announced it, like they announced right around the same time and we weren't like coordinated or whatever. And there, theirs was like, I think two weeks after ours or two weeks before something like that. 
And we were like, oh no, like, do we need to change the date? And then we like clicked through and saw so like, oh no, there's this like $4,000. Like we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> we're, or we're like the Kmart of behavioral different, science. Uh, <laughs> different market. Um, market DJ Maxx of behavioral science yeah. <laughs> conferences. So like we, we think we're going a sufficiently different group of people. Um, so ours was never really about like fun fundraising that much. Um, it was more like, okay, well, how do we like, you know, kind of stay with the mission of like reaching more people and making this accessible and kind of broadening it. And when I sat down and thought about like how much time and effort went into this and the, you know, the risk to the organization, um, and like the, the trade-off, which was like, okay, well, and we get, what do we get? Well, we get 300 people, you know, which is about three times the size of what a normal meetup would be for us. Um, well, I was like, okay, it doesn't really seem like it's totally worth it. Um, and right around then, um, I think Eric had reached out and said like, Hey, like, you know, I've been thinking about doing a podcast for a while. And Eric, I had already had like all this documentation. He's like, here's all the equipment we need. Here's whatever. And so we got together and started talking about like, um, topics and speakers and, you know, when we, it, I mean, it really didn't take that long, you know, uh, to deliberate. We were like, well, we could, we think we could reasonably expect to get almost anyone in behavioral science to talk with us over Skype for 30 minutes. Um, but to get, you know, some of these folks to fly out to a conference or fly in for a meetup or whatever, it's like, it's expensive, it's time consuming. Um, and you're only reaching the people that are able to be in the room. So we thought, well, this let's a make sure this is fun. This has always kind of been a guiding principle of action design too. Like, Every now and then, probably like once a year, we have like a meeting where we're like, should we like try to raise a bunch of money and hire staff and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, someone will inevitably be like, does that sound fun? I'm like, no, that does not sound fun. Um, so <laughs> we're like, podcast would be fun. It would be easy for us to do, we think. We think we could get great content for it. Um, and we think that it would fit with our mission of like sharing these stories and making this more accessible to a, to a broader group of people. Um, and we don't really like go too far in on like, we don't worry about sponsorship. We don't worry about like, like the analytics really. Like we, we look at it every now and then and it's basically just kind of validated. Like, yeah, we regularly reach, you know, 10 X what we normally would from an event. Um, and it's, you know, accessible to people anywhere and you don't have to be in a city or pay some money to get it or anything like that. So in, in our view, it's um, it's a success, and obviously, it's very fun for us. We get to chat with folks like y'all, Eric. Yeah, and I'll add that that's kind of it. It's just like it was an easy way to start. We wanted to like scale more, and like how do we provide more interesting stuff beyond people that can make it to a meeting within a city that they're in? You know, this is a neat, relatively easy way to do it. And like I said, I I had dabbled in podcasting a little bit. I had an idea for a long time of doing a, a behavioral science podcast, and I had actually started recording some things just on my own, but then other things kept coming up. Like, um, at the time when I started, I was freelancing and then I was just like, oh, I got to focus on like work stuff. And then I moved to Chicago and started a job here at morning, a job with Morningstar here. And I was like, oh, I don't have time for it now. And like, so Rock and I had started talking about it for a long time. It was actually kind of a funny behavioral lesson, I think. And that, uh, we were both interested in it, but I think I kept kind of pushing back a little bit because I always felt like I was too busy. I was like, I don't know if I can commit to it. I don't know if I have enough time. And I had in my head that like, it had to be every week. I was huh? like, Oh, it's like, I don't have time. Like, I don't, I just don't know if I can commit to like recording podcasts every week. And Zorak's like, well, why don't we do like every month and just see how it goes? And I was like, 
I guess that makes sense. Like, well, that, it was just like, okay, well, that's a suggestion I can live with. Change the yeah. right, change the framing, and and all of a sudden it becomes more reality. So, yeah, I mean, it's the equivalent of somebody who like you know wants to start working out. It's like I don't have time to work out two hours every day of the week. It's like why don't you work about an hour, just one hour a week? It's like oh yeah, that's a little bit easier. That's better than nothing. Um, so props to Rock for a nice uh, behavioral intervention when I my uh, my uh, default was a little high there. Well, thank. <laughs> Thank you, Zarak, for that. Yes. So, it, it You're welcome, world. <laughs> <laughs> it actually, it mirrors Tim and me, I mean, to a certain degree about finding those people that were coming into the local Minneapolis meetup and going, our network is much bigger than Minneapolis and the people we want to talk to are much, you know, are, are across the, the country or across the globe. And they're not going to fly into Minneapolis to do a meetup, you know, for us uh, because we're not going to pay them, right? Because <laughs> we, we're, we're a nonprofit. Um, actually, we're a, a loss profit, I think, <laughs> is how this works. Um, but that, that whole component and, and getting that message out, I think, is a really important piece. And so we, we applaud you guys on, on doing that. So, so with the podcast, what has been most surprising for you from putting it on or what you've learned or just what has been surprising for you from what you thought it was going to be to what it actually is. I think it's always surprising to me that anyone's interested in anything I have to say. (laughs) 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 Um, I I mean, I think the, this is maybe not a, a, a huge surprise, but it was like a welcome reinforcement is that, um, almost everyone that I have met in behavioral science is so um, open to talk, like open to talking and sharing. And, you know, this has been true for action design from the beginning where, you know, we would reach out to speakers who, you know, would normally, you know, charge tens of thousands of dollars to give a talk. And, you know, for a, you know, 501c3 that's trying, we're like, look, we're all volunteers. None of us are making any money doing this. This is just for the good of the field people were, were much more open to saying like, Oh yeah, I'll donate my time. I'll, you know, you know, and so, um, that's held true for this as well. I mean, I think, I don't think we've ever had anyone that we reach out to say like, uh, no, we don't want to, I don't want to do this. And so, I mean, I think that it's been, um, that, that, that has been like a a fun, again, not, not necessarily surprise, but just like a nice thing to kind of like, you know, know about the field and then, kind of like a different angle on it, I guess. But like, you know, Eric and I had been looking for something to kind of do when we like, you know, we had joined each other's company and we knew each other from action design. But I think by the time I was like kind of becoming more active in the group, Eric had moved up to New York. And so, you know, we always like got along on, you know, board calls and that sort of thing. And and I think one of the, um, I don't know if this is like a sad lesson or not, but like, you know, people get really busy. And so one of the ways that I've like, um, stayed connected sometimes with friends is like, let's find a project to do together, something that we're both interested in. And so, you know, I like that it's been something that has kind of like given, you know, Eric and I a chance to, you know, stay, stay connected and do, do fun stuff together. Cool. Yeah. Eric, how about you? Right back at you, buddy. So one thing uh, I'll say, I don't think I'll ever get used to hearing my own voice on audio. Um, (laughs) It's just, it's just never going to, not be uncomfortable. Um, I don't know, I don't know if other podcasters feel the same, but it's always a little strange. Um, yeah, the voice I'm, in my head sounds much different than when I hear. Yeah, way different, way different. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I guess one thing it's it's always still surprising when people. I mean, we're not some like huge show or anything, but like you know, we're fortunately we have like a you know, it's always surprising that people actually listen. I guess like um, we've had people. I mean, what Zarak had a really funny story of somebody in the real world. Like, weren't you like on a train or something? And somebody no. So this was a, I was um, in Philly a couple months ago, and I had drinks with a friend of mine from grad school, and he takes the train between Philly and DC every day. And he's like a, he does like system design uh, stuff for, um, for a government agency. And uh, so someone was sitting on the train next to him and was asking him about his work. And he was like, oh, I do like this design stuff. And she was like, oh, design, like, hey, you should check out this podcast. Um, it's called Action Design Radio. And she like shows, showed him and it's like, oh, like hosts like Derek Johnson and Zarat Khan. He's like, oh yeah, like I went to grad school with that guy. It's <laughs> like you didn't even say we were friends. You just said that. You're like, well, I, went, I know that guy from school. Um, yeah, we've had a couple of things like that where people come up at conferences or whatever, and they're like, hey, like yo, we love listening to podcasts. And yeah, that was I like emailed Eric and um, our producer Zach Simon, I, like all caps. I was like, someone listens to us. Uh, the first time somebody came up to me and said that, I was like. I did not play it cool at all. <laughs> it's like, really? Thank you. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's just, it's always like funny and surprising. I think part of it, because it feels, like I said, it feels fun to us. Like um, one of the things that we, when we started is like we wanted it. And I think this is how, I get the impression is how you guys do your show too. But like, um, we want it to be like, if you were listening to like friends having a conversation over the phone or over coffee or whatever. Um, and I think it like really does feel like that, you know, some of the people we interview, we know pretty well. Some people we don't know super well, but they're all very easy to talk to. It's very easy to have conversations with people in this field. And I think this is something through action design, through everything is that the behavioral science field is just so cool and that, um, it's still not that big um, and everyone's really helpful and really friendly and, you know, getting people to record these episodes and just having these conversations are always just really fun and enjoyable. And I almost forget it's something we're putting out into the world. It's like, Oh, this is a fun conversation we just had, but then other people are coming in on that too. So, um, so that's really cool. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, if there's only one other thing, it's just like audio challenges. Um, <laughs> we, we got started a little late today because of those that like our very first episode, we tried to record, um, we did record. We'll never see the light of day because we messed up the audio. Um, and just there's there's all these like little things that you kind of learn over time that it's uh, um, a little more complicated than just like jumping on a video call with people. Yeah, yeah don't try a new system when you're interviewing uh, a, a new f- famous guest. like Nobel laureate. All, all of our most <laughs> like oh, man. yeah. Every time we've tried a new system, it's always like, um, why didn't we not just try this with ourselves before we are you know, lose an entire interview, which was at least twice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was our first one. There was another one with a pretty prominent am- academic that will also never see the light of day because we tried using a new recording system and uh, it didn't work. Yeah, <laughs> similar. We had Bob Cialdini, who we had worked for months to get on and schedule because he's so busy and everything. And we had a great interview with him. And then there was no file. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So um, painful. Luckily, we were able to to retrieve it, a, but there was a there was a there was a, a uh, eighteen hour window of just uh, crap. <laughs> so those are the surprising things. What what are the top two things? You know, it, it, since we're both in this this part of the business, you know, the industry of of uh, podcasting and interviewing people, the learning is tremendous. So what what do you think, Eric? Are the top two things that you've learned uh, that that were 
maybe not so evident to you, even though you've been in the field, you've studied, you've, you're deep into the application of behavioral science all the time. But through the interviews, what have you learned? What, what has come up? Oh, man. You mean like about behavioral science in general or just like about having these kind of conversations or? All about like growing up. <laughs> Anything. Um, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think we learn something from every guest. Um, and I always find it interesting. I think it's just more just how many different angles there are to this kind of stuff. Um, and that we talk to people in so many different contexts that have, I think there's kind of two things. Like, one is just how we all face the same problems in a lot of ways. Like, you know, when I've been working on applied behavioral science projects, sometimes it's very easy to feel, especially because it is a niche field. Like you're the only one that's dealing with this issue. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like, why am I so bad at this or something like that? And then you have all these conversations where it's like, everybody kind of runs into the same sort of stuff in different forms, you know, whether it's getting buy-in to do it, um, having people properly execute a behavioral intervention, whatever that is. Um, a lot of us have the same challenges, which is kind of reassuring um, and is really helpful to talk through on the show and provide those kind of solutions um, with other people. Um, and otherwise, I'd say it's just like, you know, everybody has different experiences, different contexts they're working in. It's always interesting and exciting to see how different things work in different ways in different contexts, whether it's a type of intervention using a heuristic or whatever that is might work differently in one context than the other. Um, what someone finds is effective in one industry can be different in another. Um, you know, it's just kind of a funny thing of just like how much we're all the same in some ways or how we, we run in the same things, but also how much the work, how like really diverse the work is and how it's kind of a never ending um, journey of finding all these different interesting insights into uh, people. Yeah. That contradiction of, yeah, a lot of it is the same, but every situation is unique in its own, own manner. Yeah, really. Exactly. Unique find that out. Yeah. Zarak, what about you? Yeah, I would say I'm always surprised by, or, you know, I'm interested in learning people's entry into behavioral science, like where did, where they started. Um, and it's, um, I think heartening, um, to kind of see like it, it sort of changes over time, right? Like the folks who've been doing it for a while, um, is particularly on like the non-academic side have like crazy backstories, like none of it, it's not, you know, and, and now it's a little bit more like, oh, I went to school for it or I studied this and then I did, you know, a internship here and then, you know, I, whatever. So it's a more like kind of defined career path, which I think is good for the field. Um, but like the, the people who kind of like stumbled into it are always, they just always have really interesting backstories. I, I think there is a, a, the common theme across all those folks is curiosity. People, those, everyone's always just very curious about Oh, why does this happen? And why do people do this this way? Um, the other thing um, that I was thinking of, oh, I forgot the other thing I was thinking of. It'll come back to me later. Maybe. You walk down memory lane a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so actually I, I have a question who would, you guys have gotten some really great guests on, right? And then I've just, yeah, we listened to them. You got yeah. some great guests, but who is that dream guest that you have not had on yet that you would just be, this is, this is the person, this is, this is the one that and I just want to be just making sure that everything is on our A game. Are you board. asking because you think that this person might be listening to our podcast? And so exactly. that instantly <laughs> ring right up and say, Oh my gosh, we should be on action design network. <laughs> and then you we can, can all do a joint episode with that one person. Yeah. <laughs> 
we've been trying to nail down the behavioral grooves guys for a while. I don't know if you have an in with them. We are, we are living that dream right now, actually. <laughs> I heard they were kind of jerks. You don't really Difficult to work with. <laughs> they only want green M&Ms in their uh, prep green room. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. That's a fun question. Um, I think, you know, I think when you get to like folks that are kind of like considered like founders of the field, I would just feel like way more pressure. <laughs> um, partly because, uh, well, I guess there's a couple of reasons. One is like, as Eric said, a lot of the folks that we have have had on are people that we either are essentially friends with, or, um, you know, at least have met a couple times in some setting, um, and have some relationship with. Um, and I think those tend to go, it's almost like the better we know someone, the better the conversation is like the more natural it feels. Otherwise it takes a few minutes to kind of like get into that. Um, the other is like, typically those folks are, you, you really only have one shot. You know, as we said, we've, we've lost audio on some like pretty prominent folks who are like, well, that's just, <laughs> it's never going to happen again, you know, or it's going to take a year or two. Um, and then, you know, the, um, I think it's just like, I, I would be thinking more about like, I usually don't think that much about how I sound, like the questions that I'm like, oh, does this question make me sound like I know what I'm talking about? I'm just like, oh, that's kind of interesting to me. I think I would feel more just sort of like almost, I don't know. Uh, well, like so, self-image, well, like <laughs> reputational risk or something. I'm like, am I going to look like an idiot in front of Daniel Kahneman or something like that? Like, so you haven't well, said a name who, yet. Who? Yeah, who's who's on your list? Danny uh, Kahneman? On? I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, so I think a fun one that would not feel as intimidating would be uh, like Dan Ariely. Uh, I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the other the other folks that kind of come to mind would be, um, yeah, like, uh, Danny Kahneman, that would be incredible. Um, I mean, I, I probably anyone that's won a Nobel prize, you know, <laughs> that would also Maybe Richard, Richard or, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. All yeah. right. Yeah. I think like I would, I would say, um, yeah, like a Kahneman, Kahneman or Thaler, um, or even like Sunstein, like a few of those people that are sort of like the ones that really got this whole thing going. Um, and you'd be honest, having them on the show, I would just love to talk with them about less even the specifics of behavior science and more about the journey and how they've observed, you know, um, you know, they've all written books kind of about the, the founding of it and how they kind of get into it. So some of that's there, but I'd love to talk to them more about how like they've observed it grow outside of their work yeah. um, and what changes they've seen. And like, since, you know, um, you know, since the Kahneman's original research came out, like, how has he seen that grow? How has he seen that applied since nudge came out? Like what's that journey been like seeing it um, grow? Where's it going? Things like that. Those would probably be kind of like the dream conversations, I think. Yeah. So, so that leads me into the very next question. So thank you for that. So, so we're going to ask, I'm, I'm here to help. Yeah. You guys are, you know, you're in the field, you're working it, you're doing the podcast, talking to all these great guys. Where do you see? So like you were saying like, well, you'd like to ask Danny about, you know, how it's moved and transferred, but, but, what about you guys? Where do you see it moving to? What what are the areas that you see behavioral science really having an impact moving into the future, either for work or just in general? Um, I can take a sort of first swing at that. So, um, I mean, I think a, a, 
overarching kind of like broad statement, just like it's just growing a lot, right? So there are more people that are interested in it. There are more people who kind of know what it is. Um, and you see that reflected in um, both the types of like jobs and positions that are available. So there are more jobs that are specifically like we're looking for a behavioral scientist or a behavioral designer, something like that, right? Something where they're using like applied uh, psychology or some kind of behavioral science. Um, you also see more jobs where they are saying, you know, like, hey, I want a product manager or I want a UX person or I want a policy analyst, but I want them to have had experience or exposure to behavioral science. So, um, you know, not only just pure, I'm a behavioral scientist, but also like, oh, I'm a, I'm a policy analyst, but I know behavioral science, right? So um, one I see it kind of growing in that in, in that sense on like, on like the career side and then also on the training side, right? So there are more, and this is actually, we just had a sort of series of podcasts on this topic um, of like training in behavioral science, right? So it's not just like come in for a workshop, um, although those can be great, but now there's like, you know, master's programs in behavioral science. Um, there are sort of extended boot camps in behavioral science. Um, there are a number of ways that you can kind of learn more about behavioral science and then take it back to your current job or, um, you know, kind of uh, pivot your career into something that's more focused solely on behavioral science. Um, and so, I, I mean, I think, you know, for, for us and for action design, that's something that we've kind of been trying to help facilitate as well. You know, I mentioned the um, jobs board uh, earlier that we launched in partnership with people science um, as one kind of sort of first step towards that um, of like kind of a, a place that people can go to look for, um, positions in behavioral science because they're not always easy to find. Um, and, and it's also not always easy to find people for those jobs when you're hiring for it. So, um, you know, that's something that I think we're kind of like interested in. And certainly I personally, I'm interested in kind of building out that next evolution of just the field itself um, on like the applied side. So, you know, we've talked about things like, um, and, and Eric has written like a great, um, uh, article, almost like a how-to guide for behavioral scientists on how to hire a behavioral science person. Mm -hmm. um, so we've thought about things like putting out, you know, guidance or um, tips for like HR functions of like this, you know, if you're putting out like a job description and we've, we've started doing this at Merit's, like um, here are things that you can incorporate into almost any role to say like, you know, behavioral science, you know, background or behavioral science, whatever. Um, and, and making it kind of like appropriate for the type of work the person will be doing. So I think a lot, you know, when this first started, a lot of organizations just kind of almost as like a sort of for the signaling value would just say like, you need to have a PhD in behavioral science or a PhD and whatever. And in, in some cases that is, is actually what they needed. And in a lot of cases, maybe most cases, they just needed somebody who knew how to run experiments. Yeah. Um, and so more and more often you have folks who have that background, but might not have a PhD. And so you kind of see things start to shift where, you know, job descriptions are changing and the training that people receive is changing as well. So people get that kind of training earlier on and, you know, even in an undergraduate program or, or certainly in a master's program. So, you know, we've, we've tried to, we've talked about doing things on like the kind of hiring side and then also on like the kind of training side. So um, I guess I, I like officially signed my paperwork for this last week so I can announce it on your podcast. Um, but I'll be teaching a course at Penn in their master's in behavioral science and decision science program, um, next semester. 
uh, on like behavioral science consulting. So, um, you know, applying the stuff that they're learning to, um, to problems and challenges that organizations are, are having uh, related to behavioral science. Um, and so, you know, we've been always looking for ways of like, how do we um, contribute to the further growth of, of the field and the expansion and making it more accessible to people? Um, both in kind of preparing them. So we started with like sort of exposure to behavioral science stuff and now moving more towards training. Um, and um, I think we'll also start to see kind of more um, uh, resources. And I don't know if it'll take the form of like an affinity group or if it's something that action design will do, but um, more resources for that, that kind of like group of folks that are already sort of practitioners of behavioral science who are facing problems like Eric mentioned, where it's not necessarily that you don't know behavioral science. It's that you don't know how to get support internally in your organization for, you know, running an experiment or how do you build out a behavioral science team or those types of things that are, um, they're, they're certainly not like 101 behavioral science intro kind of talks. Uh, it's more like sort of how do we organize this and how do we kind of, you know, operationalize it um, as the field expands and it's not just you're the one behavioral scientist at a 20,000 person organization. Um, you're actually like have a team and that, that requires a different skill set. Yeah. Eric, how about you? Like three things come to mind. I think uh, one, I think just piggybacking on what Rock said, I think just making this an easier part of what people do will be really the ultimate goal. And that this isn't something where you have a team, you have a specific behavioral scientist or team of behavioral scientists in your company it's just something that everyone kind of knows and knows how to apply within their role. Um, like a lot of when I talk to people, like I talk to people pretty often who are interested in the field and they're trying to figure out, you know, how should I go into this? How should I do it? And in general, unless you really want to like go down more of the academic route, spend a lot of time in school, I think for most people, it's better to decide the thing you like doing um, that's more of a traditional job and make behavioral science a part of that and make that your kind of differentiator or what makes you really good at that, whether that's being a UX designer or a marketer or a manager or what have you. Um, so I think like making it easier for people to do that and take what they're take behavioral science and apply it to a job that already exists will really be sort of the end goal of what really makes this stuff um, have the biggest impact. Um, yeah, so number two is, I think, kind of the thing that I'm really interested in lately um, and I think is starting to get some momentum in the field is focusing a little more on, like, bigger strategic decision-making. Um, I think we kind of forget sometimes. I mean, Heroes Science is really about making decisions. And I think we've gotten a little too technical in some ways in how we look at that. Um, a lot of what people associate or a lot of people in the field associate with doing behavioral science is, like, running an experiment. Um, and I love experiments. Like, my... Um, job in the last few years was to run a lot of experiments. I've also seen there's kind of a lot of challenges and limitations to that approach of saying the way that we do behavioral science is by running experiments. Um, that is ideal, but it's just sort of antithetical to how people want to think. For whatever reason, people are sort of averse to experimentation. It can be very challenging in real-world environments to run experiments the way we want to. I think there's still a lot of opportunity to look at more of the choice architecture of organizations or um, systems, whatever that is, and just think beyond just trying to measure one intervention in one isolated point of that organization, that system, how are people processing information? How are they making decisions based on information um, in all of those points? 
Um, so uh, I don't know how clear there's still the, the last year, a little bit of half-baked ideas still. Um, but uh, I think focusing more on that broader decision-making and like within a big organization, um, within whatever uh, system we're in, and how do we optimize the way that people can uh, process and use information to make decisions. I think the last thing, um, and something that I've been kind of thinking about more is I think there's really just a broader lens that you kind of view the world in when you understand this stuff um, or when you start to learn it. And once you kind of understand the way that people think in these sort of, you know, like we call irrational ways or um, the way that people might interpret and make decisions emotionally rather than based on, you know, kind of factual information. Um, I think that it'd be helpful to kind of think of how can we help people see things in that way? Like for me, the more and more I learned about this stuff and it's really a rabbit hole that never ends to see how people make decisions, how they um, choose to do what they do. Um, the more I kind of learn about the stuff, the more the world just kind of looks different in a lot of ways and the more it makes sense in a lot of ways. And I think it'd be helpful to kind of help people start seeing that lens. Like, you know, for me, like for example, if somebody, if I see somebody that has an opinion on some issue that's a lot different than mine, um, I have a little, think I have a little bit more empathy because I see like, well, this is the background they're from. This is their incentives in this moment. This is why they kind of feel that way. They don't really like, it's not that they don't care about a particular thing I care about. They're just not aware of it yet. Um, we think that like, that could be a lot of those things real result in bigger disagreements or something in the real world. Um, I don't know if this makes a ton of sense. This is still a new idea I'm trying to flush out, but I think there is a lot of, when you start to learn this stuff and you see like the way people tend to make decisions um, and the way that kind of our minds work within the real world, you kind of view things differently. I think you just tend to have more empathy for other people. Um, and I think you can just be a lot more effective and actually driving to get things done that you want to get done, driving causes that you believe in, things like that. So I think in kind of helping understand like this kind of broader lens of this is what kind of the world works from this psychological perspective um, is something that we can all work towards. Yeah, I think um, that's a great, great insight. Z, did you want to jump in there? Well, I realized halfway into my sentence that I'm not the interviewer here, but I was going to ask Eric a question about his thought, um, which, which was just, I, do you think that that has to do with behavioral science training specifically, or do you think that that is... Um, just that like you're, you're more used to kind of doing like metacognition and you're thinking about like, you're thinking about why you think these things. And so you're just kind of taking a beat and like asking yourself like, Oh, I wonder why this person is thinking that thing. Or do you think that there's actually something specific to behavioral science that makes you, you know, uh, that gives you more pause there and, and like time to kind of empathize. Um, it probably loops back to what we were talking about was kind of the training. Like, how do we make this accessible for more people so that whether they want to, people that don't want to be a behavioral scientist can still do behavioral science and still understand it. So that's probably still like the, um, and I think, I guess now that I think about it, there's sort of two sides of that. There's sort of the practical side of like, someone is going to be in this type of career. Here are the things that are relevant to them. Um, the concepts and especially the tools that help them make their, do their job better. But then maybe beyond that, there's sort of like, here's the broader things about sort of human nature, human decision-making um, that you should understand that might help you understand how to kind of navigate the world a little bit differently and how to solve problems differently and empathize with people differently. Um, 
and that kind of thing. So I don't know. Does that make sense as far as an answer? It does. Yeah. Enough. Okay. For lighting, lightening our load there, Zerah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I won't do that again. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Thanks, man. So, so I can see in Tim's eyes uh, <laughs> uh, that it is the time of our interview where where he wants to ask you guys a specific question, or maybe oh, it's, no, it's it, it's just general. You know, we always end our conversations with guests to talk about music, and love it. Yeah. So, um, Z, you and I have talked about music in the past. Uh, Eric, you and I have not. So, I'd actually like to start with you. What's on your playlist right now? What's on my playlist right now? Ooh, um, man, I have a, I, so I love making playlists and I just have a lot of different ones that I kind of regularly add on to. Um, by, by Zorak on how to do playlists. Cause he is like captain playlist. Is he? We're, oh, we might have to have a competition. You know what we need to do? I, I follow a lot of Eric's playlists, actually. So I think, I don't know. I don't know if I would win that competition. Um, it's, it's, we're pretty cooperative. This is, this is giving me a great idea. And then we need like a, Behavioral science radio station. <laughs> Action design radio. Isn't that what you do? <laughs> yeah, but like music focus. Maybe, we, maybe we'll do a big like music festival where we all have a DJ set where we play our, our music. I don't know. <laughs> so, that would behavioral be science. <laughs> behavioral fest 2020. <laughs> it's going to be epic. Before, uh, right before Coachella. There you go. We can just, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I make a lot of plays. Like I'm pretty into a lot of different genres of music. Um, I'd say music's something I'm pretty into. I've never really played. I've just always really been into listening to a lot of different music. And I think music is something that's sort of a big part of everyone's lives. Like it, uh, funnily enough, like last night, um, I noticed that like best of the decade lists are starting to come out. And for one, it really hadn't hit me that a decade is ending until I saw that. Yeah. Um, but then I was kind of going through this list and like, I'd say, you know, I don't know, like uh, the beginning of the decade, I was sort of my early 20s. And I think it was kind of like, a, this is probably the most like I'll be into new music in this last decade. So it was really cool going through that, like his memory lane of like, oh, wow, I forgot about this album. Or like, I remember this from my time being here and that kind of thing. Um, so for me, music's a very like contextual thing. And I'm into a lot of different stuff. As far as this is my playlist, um, I would say... Oh, I'm opening my Spotify right now to even say like, so like what I usually do is I have like a rock playlist. Like these are all the rock songs that I like. And I just add new songs to that. I have like an electronic music playlist that I like to like work or work out to or just add stuff to that. I have like a hip hop playlist. I just add things to that. Um, So I don't know. I'm usually adding really random stuff there. I'd say like some, maybe I can just say some like albums or bands I'm listening to recently. Sure. Um, from one your rock playlist first, and then we'll get to EDM. But <laughs> okay, um, yeah. On the rock side, uh, recently I started listening to this band called Idols, uh, like I D E I D L E S. Okay, they're like a UK pretty like hard rock band, but they're really really good. Um, oh man, I'm trying to think. It's this is one of those questions that just like stumps me. There's, there's too many like answers uh to um i don't know a few albums i've liked a lot this year like vampire weekend's new album and like local natives a lot um i thought lena del rey's new one was really good oh, yeah. um yeah, all good. those are uh carly ray jepson has had a great pop album this year i enjoyed that one um yeah no it's a it's a little sample um i'm kind of all over the place but uh it's sort of uh it sort of goes all over a little bit Excellent. all right Zarak, how about you 
Yeah, I um, I'll go through a couple like songs that's, that's a little bit more specific, and then there's some people that are just kind of always on my like heavy rotation. So um, the way that I have my so I listen to almost all my music on Spotify as well, and I have it set up where I have a playlist of like essentially like heavy rotation what I'm listening to right now, and that just stays on there until I sense that I'm skipping it a lot, and once I start to skip it a lot, then I move it to I just have a call like my B sides. Um, like playlist, but it's basically like anything that used to be on heavy ro- rotation, even if it was only there for a day, gets moved to B sides. And then I will have, and so that's like, you know, five days long or whatever at this point, because I've had been doing this, had this system for several years at this point. Um, so the things that are on my like kind of heavy rotation now that I'm listening to a lot, um, there's a song that has been. Uh, there for several months now. Ooh. Um, called it's by a band called Y Oak W Y E Oak. Um, the louder I call, the faster it runs. Um, and um, the album was the same name. And um, there's a line in there that I really love, and I feel like it's great for behavioral science too. Um, it's uh, I search for patterns since that isn't there, and I kept thinking about that, um, yeah. and have been like. I had been looking for um, uh, like a project to do with in um, some kind of like art gallery or museum. And I talked with a couple of behavioral science people that had been, been kind of interested in the same type of thing. And so I had this like idea for um, like an, an installation at a gallery um, where you have things that are essentially kind of nonsensical patterns, but you tell people like there's, there's a pattern here. Well, it would be a number of different interventions, right? But one would be like people look at it and then you, you like ask them to write down what they see as the pattern. Um, one where you could sort of like say like, there is a pattern here. Let us know once you find it. Um, and you could even have, you know, your confederates or whatever folks in there who like are like, oh, I see it. And I like go over and like write it down on something. It'd just be interesting to see like what people come, kind of come up with um, because we're, we're such like pattern seeking uh, creatures we have totally crossed into nerdville here when we when <laughs> so easily into a behavioral science experiment <laughs> yeah well i've i've been taking active steps towards this so i just joined uh here in st louis we have a contemporary art museum and i just joined their um their junior board and so I, i'm like working my way slowly towards uh some kind of experiment in the, in the museum or gallery well um what, what the other ones yeah what else oh, yeah, the other ones that I was to so um, Sylvanesso um, is a favorite band of mine from Durham, North Carolina, and I'm going to go see them in concert for my birthday next month. Woo-hoo! So I've been listening to them. Um, Johnny Flynn, um, a song "Raising the Dead" um, from his album Cillian, um, that my sister sent me uh, because she thought it reminded her of our uh, grandfather. So I've been listening to that one a lot. And, like, and then um, some things that are just kind of, oh, is that? He's not the former Minnesota Timberwolves player, is he? Johnny Flynn, who? Yeah, former Minnesota, Minnesota Timberwolves player who then became oh, okay. uh, an Irish folk singer. Irish folk singer. <laughs> um, or I guess maybe he's English, but yeah. Um, no, I think he's probably a different person. Yeah, it's very different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the other Things that are kind of always on my heavy rotation um, are Sharon Van Etten. Kind of pretty much always have at least one song of hers on uh, on the playlist. Um, Gillian Welch. Oh, wow. Um, 
And let's see. Um, I guess the other one that I would put on there is M Ward. I feel like I'm always kind of listening to M Ward. Hmm. Um, even though I don't think he's done anything super recently. Okay. That, that's a, that's a pretty diverse uh, mix. That That's, that's very cool. Yeah. I, 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 I dig. It sounds like Zarak prepared his answer a little bit. I knew, I knew the music question was coming and I was like, Oh, that'll be easy to talk on. And then of course, like it's his choice paralysis. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. Jesus. Oh, it's oh, too much to talk. Well, about. I don't normally have a song that I felt like was so aligned with behavioral science, but in that Y Oak song, that has been like stuck in my head for like months. And I was like, all right, if, if, if I ever get invited to behavioral grooves, I'll have a song to there talk you go. about. I saw I saw Y Oak open for the National like years ago. Oh wow! Oh, awesome. Like the National. Yeah, National is one of my favorites. It's a yeah. Well, gentlemen, I just want to say thank you for for being on. This has been fantastic, and uh, we we hope to uh, you know to to talk with you guys more. This is great, and we love what you're doing out there. Yeah. keep it up. Yeah, thank you. Likewise, thanks Damn, for having us. Thank you guys. It's super fun. Good to keep going for hours. I'm sure. Welcome to our grooving session, where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our Behavioral Grooves interview, have a free-flowing discussion, and whatever else comes into our podcast minds. <laughs> I'm so glad that you went there. Because that's, <laughs> that's this, this was about podcasting to a large degree. It was. It podcaster was, on podcaster. Podcaster <laughs> on podcaster, which got a little weird at some points, but you know, that's all right. You know, we have those conversations. I liked it. It was a fun conversation. These guys are sharp. You they, know? They, they are. They care they are. a great deal about what's going on in the behavioral science world. Well, and I have to give a big shout out to, to Z, to Zarak, because when we started Behavioral Grooves, the meetup, yeah, we we reached out to him. We we didn't really know him at all, and no. we reached we reached out to him because of his work with Action Design, and we knew that he had been former president, or somehow we got his name. And he might have even been president at the time. And and he was so so gracious with his time and his insights, and helped us formulate the the meetup and how it was was run and operated. And and then to find out, you know, that hey, he's doing a podcast too, and we're doing <laughs> a podcast. Know, it was just it's wow. Yeah, it's pretty great, actually. So so what did you take away from our conversation? So there were a couple of a couple of really big things. The first thing was just talking about what they observe and what they're coming away with, what what Eric and Zarak are learning through their interviews. Yeah. And I loved that because that resonated with me. Uh, in the kinds of things that we get to learn uh, in the interviews that we have. We learn? <laughs> I, oh. le- I learn. You oh, learn. Of course you learn. I, yes, I you know. Do. Yes, you do. But uh, the, uh, Eric's second comment about uh, how important context is, when he started, <laughs> right? This is like, that was just so cool. I looked at you when he said that. I don't know oh, if you noticed no. that, but I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, this is right up Tim's alley. Context matters. Oh. So, so you're not surprised that I bring that up as one of the most important things that we talked about. No, it was it was right on it was right on key. And thinking about it, if I had to go back and look at lessons learned from our almost 100 episodes, yeah, I context is a key piece of that. It really it is. is. It is one thing that keeps coming up over and over and over. How important. Our decisions are that that our decisions are based a lot on the context of that they're being made in outside of 
you know, what we would think rationally we should be doing, right? Right, It's right. so impactful, the context, whether that be social, whether it be emotional, whether it be environmental. It is fascinating, isn't it, that uh, the more we dig into this, and, and as much work as you and I have done researching uh, behavioral experiences up to now, the podcast and our guests have illuminated the emphasis of two things for me, context matters and the ethics. Yeah. The, the, these are such powerful, powerful tools that when you use them in an inter- intervention, you can really wreak havoc uh, in the world. You can, or you can do a lot of good. Or you can do a lot of good, and that kind of leads to where we might want to go, right? Right. So one of the things that I liked about this interview was we talked about where behavioral science is going. That was a great question. It was a great question. It was yeah. really... Yeah, I think you, I think you wrote it. So <laughs> Well, you asked just, it, though. I just read it. So. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for, for, for writing such a no, insightful thank, and wonderful question. No, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I agree, Kurt, that that was, that was pretty terrific. Um, this whole idea of ingraining, integrating behavioral science into the world that we live in well, and, on and, a more, you know, just a broad scale basis. Right. It's, it's integrating it, but, but, you know, I think Z talked about having, growing, the, the, the number of jobs growing in behavioral science. Yeah. And, yeah, or... Great. Not maybe having a specific behavioral science in the title, but that behavioral science is now a requisite for that job, marketing, human resources, a number of those facets that, wow, you have to have a, a grounding in behavioral science in order to be a successful candidate for that job or to really operate in that job, regardless of whether you're a behavioral scientist uh, in title and that that is your job using behavioral science in these other aspects. And I think that's, I think that's true. I think that is really growing and, and I, and I'm hopeful. Well, the world of advertising certainly has informed us that, that better headlines get better results. And so when, well, I just, I just think about, about how, if you're writing, if you're, if you're doing a proposal or you're making a presentation, the kinds of words that you use on the, on the screen or on that paper make a difference. They do. And, and I think advertising has helped illuminate that as, as an industry. So maybe behavioral sciences could help influence us to say, yes, those words matter. And there's, there's a psychological uh, impact uh, component that could impact us from a behavioral perspective. Well, there's a scientific way of looking at yeah, those words, right? It's not just saying, I like how these words sound. You might have the most clever, witty, you know, tagline or or words on a page, but if they're not resonating with the the context, going coming back to context yeah. that you are trying to convey that information in, they may backfire on you. And so it's understanding, do we use a loss perspective here or do we use a gain perspective? That's do right. we use emotionally charged words because we want to evoke a reaction out of people or do we, we go with a more staid rational piece because we're trying to get them to switch to system two thinking? And so how do we do that? So it's that scientific aspect that comes into this, that if we can do this, which leads me to the next part that I'm... You know, and, and we didn't talk about this, but it was one of the aspects that, that I really thought about is this 
behavioral science is being integrated into the larger context within society. And so it's what we're trying to do. We're trying to grow this community mm-hmm. of, of people who are interested in behavioral science. Yeah, we, and, we hear newscasters using terms like biases and uh, you know mental shortcuts in the way that they're describing the way things get framed. And it's, it's, it's expanding, obviously, business, but also in government and then other things. But I think that that behavioral science lens that is being out there in the world creates a different way of, of viewing and living in the world. And, and I think that's a positive. I think it can be a positive. Yes. Because if we take this viewpoint of we have a better understanding of why we do what we do, that can only be helpful uh, in our day-to-day interactions, whether it be at work, whether it be uh, with the strangers driving a car, as you were talking about your wife and, and you know the stories you were saying about how she's more relaxed now because she understands, oh, those people in the other cars aren't being malicious towards me because no. they cut me off. Or, they might just be bad drivers or, or they might be having a bad day. Or they might be having but, a bad day. But there's a context outside of herself that she's more aware of today than she was Five years ago. Well, and, and having that spotlight, understanding the spotlight, spotlight effect, right? <laughs> right? Right. Which is that aspect that, wow, you know, the spotlight is on me and everybody's looking at me. And in reality, no, they're not. They're all, everybody has their own spotlight and they're thinking about themselves. And all the time. They're not looking at your zipper down. They're wondering if my zipper is, you know, is, is my own zipper down, right? What a, what a, that really, is that the only Im- example that came to mind for you? It was the <laughs> one that came to my mind right away. You come up with a better example yourself, Mr. Righteous. I'm talking about changing the world and you go. Well, you're and- the one that brought up zippers, so. <laughs> so I, no, but it, it, it is that. It is in some ways it's that simple, right? In some ways it is that simple, but it's not easy necessarily yeah. to execute. On. I, I love that it's it's simple but not easy, right? Yeah. The concepts that we talk about here, and and we see this all the time with the accidental behavioral scientists that we do. Oftentimes, while they seem unrational or irrational we have figured them out for the most part as humans because of the way we just operate within the world oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And they're not rocket science. I mean, we are not creating this, this spaceship that has to fly to Mars or wherever it is. Thank goodness. (laughs) Well, particularly with us, we, (laughs) we, we wouldn't get, you know, anyway. Yeah. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that while the, the concepts are relatively simple, and and maybe they're they're not. Maybe maybe we're oversimplifying it ourselves. But the the application of those principles is definitely not easy, and it is hard because because I'll, I'll, we'll just go with loss aversion, right? My my favorite go to thing, and and loss aversion works in many instances, but we shouldn't use it in 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 all instances because it can have other you know, corollary impacts on how people are viewing things. It could backfire in certain instances. It could, uh, it it may work, but there may be a better way of looking at something in order to drive, you know, that behavior that you're trying to drive. So we have to understand whatever that context is that we're placing it in and all of the potential 
impacts that our decisions are doing and the the way that we're working looking at the world. So, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, w- would you mind if I switched over to a musical question for you? Uh, go for it. So, I really like the way uh, Zarak and Eric are super super intense about their playlists. You know, they've got a workout playlist and a get ready playlist and a, I don't know, swim in the pool playlist. I don't know, lots and lots of different playlists. Okay, maybe not the swim in the pool thing. But I wanted to know if you organize playlists for specific occasions. Do you, in fact, do you use Spotify? Do you have, do you actually create playlists on Spotify? So I don't use Spotify, I use Pandora. Okay. Um, you know. Plug up for them. If you guys want to sponsor us, please go. Um, <laughs> please. Do that. <laughs> um, I don't. I, I don't have specific playlists for specific activities or different things. It's based upon my mood at the time. And then and then my, my playlists themselves are mostly stations. So in Pandora, oh, you set up a, okay. a station, which... Okay. Because that, that, that's a way of curating the, the general sound. It's the, the general sound, not the specific songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I'm the only one, the, the only one that I have that is more specific is the, the rare times when I am like cooking, cooking in, in, in the kitchen, I will play. <laughs> the French, French music? <laughs> yeah, I will play French cooking music. And there is a Pandora station that is French cooking music, which is a wide variety of everything from, yes, there are some French songs, but there's also some like 70s pop songs mixed in there. I don't know why, but it's a nice little mix. So that's the only one that I, I, I use you know, more consistently than others. Hmm. Otherwise, it is just depending upon my emotional state. Uh, okay, so what about on, in iTunes? Are you, have you, have you created, you, we've talked about mixtapes. You've created mixtapes. I in, used in the to. Past. Yeah. I used to. I don't anymore. Don't, well, and no, even no. on iTunes, I, when iTunes first came out and I had, you know, the iPad, yeah. I, iPod, iPod, not the iPad, I would go in there and make these playlists and the playlists had weird names like smooth and you know um, you know energy and different things that were and, and my wife would look at me going what the hell is this like oh that's just it's the it's the concept that i'm trying to go the vibe, the vibe. <laughs> and i have not done that in years so, oh, really? Yeah, you've gotten away from it. I've gotten away from because it because of stations. Do you think? I think so because I think the stations achieve pretty much that same piece. Yeah, with much less work on my part. Yeah, interesting. And, and I'm just probably older and less, you know, into it from that perspective of curating which exact. Songs. Well, it's a lot less friction to just yeah. dial up a station and just let let somebody else curate the music for you. Let let the algorithms in Spotify create it for you, right? I mean, that's or Pandora, who's going to be our new sponsor <laughs> here at the end of this. <laughs> what about you? Uh, you obviously asked this question for a reason. Do you? Well, I was curate curious. your own playlists, and do you have specific ones for specific? times of your life? Yeah, I do. I, I do. And, and, and they're still in iTunes. So I, I, maybe I'm a bit old school in that way. Um, and I'm also not, I, I'm not, I don't support Spotify because uh, I think that they do a terrible job of uh, supporting artists. I think yeah. that their artist share is, is very low. Pandora is better, by the way. Which is going to be our new sponsor. <laughs> so exactly. of course they're better. Yeah, yeah. but I like, I like creating those, uh, those playlists. I like having them uh, and I like having them on my phone. I like having them readily available. 
you know, uh, for so, so give us a, for example, what, what do you, so what do you have? So it's a mix of, so I like your vibe thing. You know, some are, are just, this is kind of the vibe. Then there's also some that are specifics. Like this is dinner music. I've got, I've got, you know, a couple of dinner oh. playlists and then I've got some, so they're more experiential, um, I should create a cooking one, though. I think that's a great idea, actually. You could just go to Pandora and do the French <laughs> cooking. Yeah. Um, and some are artist-specific. I like, I like the idea of listening to uh, one artist, you know, throughout, you know, for, you know, an hour or so. And just hearing a mix of their, of their tunes and charting, you know, kind of m- mentally and emotionally charting their progress as songwriters and... and um, and performers, you know, that's interesting across their career. Because when I was when I made my playlists and and did that, I I would often do that. I would I would put um, sometimes on on some of them, it's like the same song. So for instance, um, uh, uh, Dan Wilson, right? Yeah, he wrote a couple different songs for the Dixie Chicks that mm-hmm. he then did himself. And so I would create a playlist that had the exact same song back to back that that the Dixie Six Dixie Chicks sang, and then yeah, say that three times, yeah, and then and then and then Dan Wilson sang, and and seeing again the nuances between those two. Um, and That's so cool. I would do I would do that, and I would do like you know early ministry, late ministry after many drugs, early ministry when there's few drugs, late ministry when there's many drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's cool though. I, again, that's kind of, uh, again, charting these nuances and differences rather than just taking anything that comes randomly. But that's also when I'm listening, you know, that's actually listening to music that I want to hear that. Not so much when it's just, when music is just playing in the background. Right. That's Very different. Yeah. Okay. So, so listeners, thanks for listening. That's what, that's what you guys do. Thanks for putting up with podcasters talking yes. to other podcasters and going off on really weird tangents sometimes. But yes. we yeah. appreciate you listening, and we are coming up on our 100th episode, so stay tuned. And uh, as always, please leave uh, a recommendation or a comment. Uh, it really helps on, on Apple and whatever other services, exactly. services that you use. Um, we want to expand the community and, and that's one of the best ways of doing that. Yeah. So. so thank you in advance for doing that. We appreciate you leaving that review. Thank you.